Compliance, the final frontier. Tom Fox is the voyager of trekking through compliance. His mission, to explore the original series and seek out and share what it can teach you about compliance. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox. I would like to welcome you to a special Encore series of Trekking Through Compliance. This series will focus on the 2020 television show Picard. In this series, I'm joined by Megan Doherty. Megan is co-founder and partner at One Stone Creative, a podcast production firm. Megan is a Star Trek aficionado, although a Voyager Star Trek aficionado. And as all you listeners know, I'm an original series aficionado. Nevertheless, we both love Jean-Luc Picard, and we are going to explore the lessons learned and the shows and our love for Star Trek in the context of Picard. So sit back and enjoy this special presentation from Trekking Through Compliance. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox and Megan Doherty back for Picard, Episode 10, Et in Arcadia Ego, Part 2. Megan, uh, we are at the end of the first uh, season of Star Trek Picard, so shall we just jump into it? Let's just jump into it Um, after a moment of just being sad that it's over. I'm so sad that it's over. (laughs) But it lives in our heart. It will live in our hearts and on Crave.ca for... (laughs) So in this episode, Gerardi uses subterfuge to free Picard, who was under house arrest. Narek allies with Rios and Rafi to destroy the beacon calling uh, super synths to uh, the planet Copulus. They head into the settlement while Picard and Gerardi go off into the now empty La Serena to take off and hold off, rather, the Romulan fleet and hopefully wait for the Star Trek fleet. On the artifact, i.e. the Borg Cube, Seven of Nine finds Nerissa trying to activate weapons on the cube and kills her after a fight and uh, also kills her because she killed Hugh. Elmore, Rios, Rafi, and now Narek go directly into the settlement to try to destroy the beacon. Picard and Girardi fly up to meet the Romulan fleet and perform an incredible variation of the Picard maneuver. General O gives one of the great orders of all time to, quote, sterilize the entire planet, end quote. But Picard and the orchids, uh, Megan's orchids, appear again and distract her long enough for Riker and the fleet to arrive and save the day. Picard's terminal condition arrives and he dies saving the planet. Uh, He meets Data, who, who asks him, to help him die, uh, Picard resurrected as a synth obliges, and in the final scene, the crew of the La Serena flies off for new adventures. I said episode nine was awesome. Well, this was double awesome. It really was. So, what did you think? It, there was so much in it. There was so much. So, where do you want to start? Just with one point, and this is kind of from mid in the episode, so we'll probably get back to it again later, but how many planetary sterilization patterns do you think the Romulans have? Because she ordered number five. (laughs) (laughs) And that just really jumped out to me is, wow, these people are prepared. (laughs) You know, I would have thought that was a Klingon move, but uh, apparently the Romulans had sterilization patterns in place as well. Yes, I thought that was somewhat chilling, actually. (laughs) But yeah, so what, well, I guess what was your biggest impression? 
So this was just a, a complete roller coaster uh, of a uh, episode. The uh, we had the final scene between Narissa and Narek. I was interested in Narek's final words to his sister, which were essentially, "I'm not the screw up the family thought I was," and um, I have some mm-hmm. appreciation of that. And um, I just thought that was an incredibly telling line that when departing his sister, which at that point appeared to be to head off to a suicide mission, it wasn't I love you. It wasn't it's been real. It was, hey, I'm not a screw up. Um, And that's how he wanted her to remember him. And uh, so I thought that was a really interesting the. um, How he persuaded and he, Narek, um, Elnor, who was following him, Rios, uh, excuse me, uh, Rios and Gerardi, Arafi rather, to ally with him. Uh, I was a little, uh, I thought that that was not fully explored, except the campfire scene was just awesome. That's uh, that's actually out of a TOS movie. So uh, <laughs> I particularly like that. But the, And the story of Gambadon. So uh, I found that in- incredibly interesting as well. Up to that point, what did you see in the episode? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I kind of I, I liked the way um, Narek sort of got on board um, with with Rios and Rafi, like the throwing rocks and then the little conversation about I have the grenades, but I'm throwing rocks. Come on, like I, I thought it was it was rather lighthearted considering like the apocalypse they're trying to prevent. Um, and, and I did think it was sensible that they ended up working together, um, just in like an enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of deal. Um, you know, if the world is actually going to end, you really don't have time to worry about um, how much of a jerk you were to your ex girlfriend. <laughs> so um, it's just it, that, I thought that was really interesting, um, and I, I did like the telling of the story because um, it was a really good like like apocalypse story like from the deep recesses of myth like it really had that ragnarok feel that really that revelations feel right um so that that was i thought really really well communicated uh that was it was very well done there was uh, a couple of scenes on the la serena the first one was where they prepared i guess this is the right word um the uh, interface mix and they did that with a special tool uh that they were given by the sense and i was called the fix it tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, the great thing about Star Trek is when they need to make up something, they just make it up. <laughs> it reminded yeah, me of great. Q because I hated Q for the longest time because <laughs> I thought it was unfair to have an all powerful being who could do anything he wanted at any time. And somebody said to me, why not? So why not have a fix it tool? You just, think it and it happens. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the music man, but uh, professor Harold Hill taught music with the think method. And the think method was you think it and you do it. So, you know, there is, <laughs> there is some basis in mu- musical theater for a, a fix it tool that you think. I'm I'm looking forward to, you know, after everything is said and done and the fix-it tool starts to become widely available and the red tape and bureaucratic legislation that's going to be involved around the use of the fix-it tool, I think it's going to be amazing. <laughs> you know, as a lawyer, I appreciate that. I, I, would, I would read that fan-created guidebook. 
the scene, uh, let's leave the, the scene where they arrive in the settlement and go to kind of Picard, uh, Gerardi. So Gerardi cuts the eyeball of the dead synth out and uses that to open the door, break uh, Picard out. Anything about th- those scenes? Was anything revelatory for you? A little bit about um, Agnes kind of becoming the synth's mother and being willing to sacrifice her life. That all seemed a little bit weird to me. Um, so I wasn't like particularly surprised when uh, she tried to rescue Picard and, and got uh, got him out of there. Um, the eyeball tech um, was pretty cool. I think that's that's a fairly established trope in in science fiction and spy movies uh, as being able to use an eyeball for that. So that was really interesting. Um, but yeah, I think some of it was a bit convenient. Like, but again, the different things had to happen in a certain order, so that made sense. What were your thoughts on it? It was interesting. I saw a moment of growth for Agnes uh, when she says, you know, I'm getting better at the spy stuff. And what she got better at was manipulation and lying. And I'm not sure that's positive, although perhaps she was, you know, um, just tired of being the sweet young thing. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> she wanted to channel her her inner bad girlness. So um, maybe, maybe she'd, as she as she'd pointed out, like she had spent her whole life um, working towards these sins and she meets the sins and they're awful. <laughs> so she needs a new career path. Off of her uh, a murderous path. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, when uh, it was, I thought it was cool uh, watching P- Picard kind of take the helm again mm-hmm. as he flew uh, the La Serena up. And um the second watching of this episode, I was much more moved by his communications to Soji of his willingness to sacrifice himself and Gerardi, uh on behalf of the Siths. And I, I found that to be uh, a very moving uh, scene. What, what kind of were your thoughts? It made a lot of sense because um, he really felt an obligation both, I think, to Soji because he hadn't been able to save Dodge and also um, to kind of this this new race of people that he wants to be able to help because he failed so hard with the Romulans you know not because of his own fault really but um, he didn't he wasn't able to save anyone or save as many people as he wanted to during the the kind of sun explosion um, and so sacrificing his life yes it's very moving he did have a terminal brain injury that was rapidly decreasing so it wasn't like he was <laughs> It was I, it was touching. I didn't. I, it was I think less touching than it would have been if he had had another thirty years ahead of him <laughs> that he knew about. Still very nice. What did you think? Did you think it was realistic for the way they per- portrayed Soji getting to the decision she made? I think so. I think, and you you brought this up a moment ago that you know the synths really are all quite young. You know, they may be incredibly sophisticated, but they're they're not super emotionally mature, uh, just from lack of length of time existing. Um, so I think that process, like they they adapt and they get that very fast. Um, but I think she probably she hadn't seen self sacrifice like that before, and I bet it was really moving. And I, I think, yeah, the maneuver that Picard pulled off to duplicate the sh- ships uh, <laughs> up to one, uh, I guess a couple of hundred images, I thought was a great science fiction, uh, great tech, 
once again, we saw the orchids uh, arise from the planet. Mm-hmm. They were now 10 of them. And the or- yeah, they sacrificed themselves and managed to stave oh, so off cool. the Romulans for a very short period of time, mm-hmm. uh, but long enough for the cavalry to arrive. And how cool was that? And when the cavalry arrived, that was a great moment. <laughs> that really was. So what was this? How did you feel when the when the window opened up and Riker was there? So uh, I thought it was cool. Uh, I have to say I thought his little speech was even cooler. That um, because he gave the legal basis for mm-hmm. me, he said that this planet has asked for and received uh, protection from the Federation and under the terms of the treaty between the Romulans and the Federation that the Romulans had to withdraw. Mm-hmm. And when she, uh, General O, said, no, we we were here first, uh, he plays the clip of Picard, uh, who in Episode 9 had called and reported first contact and asked for to put the planet and the people under uh, Starfleet and the United Federation of Planet Protection. So I particularly like that. Uh, I loved uh, having the fleet behind him. Um, I loved it that he... The toughest, meanest ships that Starfleet has ever... Oh, yeah, yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's that... Uh, not so much the threat of violence, but the the use, the threat of power, but using diplomacy with power behind you to achieve a goal, which is what I find fascinating. And and just that particular scene when, like, you can see the two space armies and all of the Starfleet sheets kind of light up and they're ready to go. That was very exciting. It was. It was very, very cool. So then we got to, um, we have the death of Picard, mm-hmm. and we had then his scene with Data. Uh, both incredibly moving. Um, um, I guess first let's take the reactions to the deaths, the death of Picard from, from all of the people. How did you feel about their reactions? I, I thought they, they were all pretty, they seemed honest they seem genuine it seemed yeah i thought it was it was kind of what it needed to be um there were two that struck me uh rios and rafi the one that struck Mm -hmm. me about rafi was not really her reaction to um picard's death it was her her reaction to elnor and her comforting of Elnor, who was clearly distraught. Um, and it it showed her in a very maternal way, but I, saw, I also thought it showed great strength from her because she was clearly distraught, yet she recognized in her kind of emotional pain there was someone there who was either in greater pain or needed someone, and, and she was that someone. And um, mm-hmm. Rios... I thought it was great when, you know, he's, he said, I would, I never, I said, I'd never fall in love again. That that is the classic line of every guy, uh, (laughs) probably every girl, but certainly every guy I know, you know, and I said, I'd never do it again. And I did it again. (laughs) (laughs) That, that whole scene with that, with he and seven drinking the horrible liquor uh, was just charming. Right. Really, really charming. I guess I saw more humanity in, seven in that scene than probably any other scene. Well, I don't know. That's fair. Anyway, a lot of humanity from, from seven, but I really loved uh, Rios. Then 
we had the scene uh, in the cloud uh, between Picard and Data. And it was just perfect. There, I can. Uh, I was thinking. I tried to think last night of all of the times you saw kind of the perfect death scene or the perfect saying goodbye scene, mm-hmm. and I could think of about three in all of entertainment. <laughs> and uh, I thought that it, it, it's everything I wanted as a TNG fan that I didn't get at the end of the television show, and certainly even at the end of the movies, because uh, the original series had a final movie. And um, so I, I felt like I got to say goodbye to the original uh, series crew um, in Star Trek Six, but uh, after Nemesis, there were no further yeah. TNG movies. So I felt like I got to to satisfy that part uh, of what I wanted to say see. Uh, so how about you? I, I was I found the whole thing very touching. Like the the technology of it was really cool. That Data's consciousness had been going on this whole time. Um, uh, like I, I, that hadn't occurred to me, but when it kind of was brought up, uh, my first thought was. How sad that he's been alone, you know, in this in this room, this consciousness for so long. Um, I, I loved the conversation that they had. It was so warm and it was so touching. Um, and then that that favor at the end, um, you know, Data saying, you know, it's I really this is the the last experience I want to have on my way to understanding humanity is to know that this is going to end. Um, and and what a what a how, how what a relationship you have to have to ask that of someone. And I thought that was that was kind of the biggest demonstration of how close they were and what a real friendship that was. That, that was something that Data could ask for and Picard could do. So there was one movie that I could remember where I thought they got it right. And it was a movie called They Died With Their Boots On. It was about George Armstrong Custer. And Errol Flynn played Custer and Olivia de Havilland played his wife. And in the final scene between those two, it was actually the last of seven movies they made together. And uh, he was leaving to go off to what fight what became the Battle of the Little Bighorn where he died. But it was so clear they were saying goodbye to each other in that movie, that scene. And that's what this scene with Picard and Data reminded me of, that they were saying goodbye and in a completely satisfying way, in a way that I felt like I got to be a part of that. And I just cannot... uh, uh, say how moving I found that scene and how how really they got it right. What did you think of the eulogy? You know, that was almost an afterthought to me. Uh, after the scene between the two of them, I mean, I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Picard has said more than once he was the most human person I know in many ways, and that seemed to me to be kind of a recitation of that. But after... Um, I guess that was moving because it allowed him to 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 die, to have his consciousness go away. But uh, it was more for me when they said goodbye to each other and, and how they did it. And uh, I was by that point focused on the card as a synth. <laughs> that, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> what did you think about that? Um, my first, well, okay, while, well, kind of during the death scene, I was just like, oh man, how, how bold for this series, they're going to let Picard die. I had forgotten the golem. <laughs> and so when he woke up again, I was just like, oh, and my first horrified thought was, they're not going to make him immortal. Like, like Patrick Stewart 
going to live forever. How are they going to pull this off? (laughs) Um, I liked it. I thought it was, it was really cool that, that Alton Soong, um, kind of donated the body. Um, that, that was a really nice touching thing. Um, I loved the conversation around the limits they put on it. Um, but I I thought that was great. (laughs) Um, no, I, I'm, I'm, I was really glad that they, they kind of brought him back because it, it is a brave move for a series, especially one that has a history of continuing uh, for season after season to to kill off a main character. But yeah, it was an elegant way to bring him back. So the final scene of the television show that we are reviewing was the crew going off. And we had kind of some interesting pairings. We had Rios and Girardi, who we knew about. But we had Seven of Nine and Rafi, who I had no idea. Which I am extremely here for. <laughs> oh, I had no inkling of that. Did you have... Any inkling that that might occur? Um, none whatsoever. Okay. But I'm going to give that a pass on the basis of lesbian culture. Is that, <laughs> is that a fair? Did you feel it was fair for them to lay that on us on that scene, almost the next to last scene? Um, I, I felt like it was more of a promise of things to come okay. than anything that would have come before. So I didn't, I, I wasn't, you know, mad that there'd been no buildup. Um, to that, um, I can see based on their characters. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see it. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like it was kind of a hint for what's happening next, more than a conclusion to something that had already happened. Did you find? I think it was Raffi who made the first gesture by putting her fingers in Seven of Nine's hands. But even if she wasn't the first, did you find her actions with Seven of Nine inconsistent with her love for Picard? Uh, not, not at all. Um, n- not at all. Cause again, uh, because I remember I didn't really see the Rafi Picard thing as in any way romantic. Okay. So that, that hadn't really been in my head, um, to mess it up. And I mean, seven and Rafi, <laughs> come on. <laughs> uh, I would overlook so many plot holes for that. <laughs> like <laughs> a spinoff with them, like crime fighting throughout the galaxy. Sign me up. Take my money. I'll crowdfund it. <laughs> um, I did think it was sweet. They were doing it over a game of, um, I can't remember the name, but the game where you move the, the little sticks around the Vulcan game to make the sphere. Right. Which Seven has always played a lot. So, yeah, I thought, I thought that was a nice little, yeah, I, I find it exciting. Well, I wanted to ask you about that. So what were some of the cookie highlights for you? The, the big one was, was during the eulogy of Data for me when um, they were quoting that line from The Tempest, um, Prospero's line. Um, which I think Data had played Prospero in an episode of TNG. Uh, so <laughs> that was, yes. uh, I thought, just but the, the line itself um, about, you know, what makes a human, um, that I think for me got me as much as the actual goodbye um, was the appropriateness of that as the eulogy. So I, I had that one as well. Uh, I had a couple of others. Uh, one from um, TNG, which was when Picard, after Picard died and he was talking to Data, and uh, uh, Data said that the Soongs are, quote, an acquired taste, end quote. <laughs> and that was something we'd heard several times in TNG. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a couple of uh, TOS references. The, um, the sterilize, sterilize the planet. Uh, sterilization order number or pattern number uh, (laughs) Number five. But the word sterilized, that was actually from a TOS episode called the changeling where a, um, 
an alien had fused with a, a, uh, a earth probe and uh, the probe's mission became to sterilize. Um, for those listening to this podcast uh, who may be Doctor Who fans, it uh, someone referenced it sounded like a slightly confused Dalek, sterilized, sterilized. <laughs> So uh, if you want to have uh, have your uh, cross-cultural references. And then so much. <laughs> the, um, the, the fireside chat, that came from a TOS movie, number five, uh, where Bones, McCoy, and Spock sang, row, row, row your boat. Uh, or they taught Spock how to do it. But um, it was also a discussion of Vulcan prehistory. And we've seen that literally over every series, uh, Star Trek series, in every movie. But it's firmly now uh, in uh, Star Trek uh, uh, myth or, or lore, rather, that the Vulcans and the Romulans are uh, have a joint ancestors. They came from the same planet. Romulans left, and um, but the what uh, Narek posed was that the people who populated the planet of Vulcan came from somewhere else. And so that was the first time we had heard that. And that ties into an uh, episode I referenced in episode nine, Return to Tomorrow, where once again, Sargon, kind of the lead guy or lead brain is left. Uh, he says that our children populated uh, the universe. So perhaps uh that was populated that way. But that's the first time we'd heard about pre uh, the, the people who populated the planet of Vulcan may have come from somewhere else. So I was particularly intrigued uh, by those two TOS cookies. Oh, those are both really good ones. <laughs> so, uh, and you're right, the line from The Tempest. And I guess my last one, I'm not sure it was a cookie, but Blue Sky, as I recall, um, Dada sang that at uh, mm-hmm. the wedding. And uh, here is actually, I found out that uh, the actress who played Soji, she sang it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it, I, I had heard that as well. And it was also the uh, the song they played at the very beginning yeah. during Picard's dream. So it was, it was I, I love when things are wrapped up in a neat little bow. So uh, I can just not give a higher recommendation for the, uh, this episode. Oh. It was just... Uh, a complete roller coaster of action, of emotions, of plot twists, of turns. Uh, it's, it was they packed as much into a one-hour show as I think you can. Yeah, I, I'd agree, and it was it was a really satisfying conclusion to the series. Um, you know, it, as a ten-episode arc, I think it was. I mean, we'll do our reflections. I think in our next episode, um, but a, as an episode, uh, yeah, it, it was really satisfying. So, uh, Megan's right. Unfortunately, we are at the end of our time, but we are going to be back for one wrap-up episode. Who knows how long it will take. Um, We're probably each going to have to watch the entire series again, so. (laughs) I like that. I I have an assignment. Now I have to tell my wife I have to do it. I mean, we're we're under quarantine. What else are we going to do with our time? (laughs) Straight through. Uh, Okay, Megan, well, until our wrap-up episode. Absolutely. Talk to you then, Tom. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Trekking Through Compliance, you can help it grow by sharing it with the biggest Trek fan you know. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.